0: Brother Dottie was speaking, I thought of a meeting that we had over here a couple years ago, and I shared in that meeting that when man asks you to do the impossible, it's mockery. But when God asks you to do the impossible, it's a miracle. If a man comes up to a lame crippled, cripple who's been laying at the pool for 30 years and says, get up and walk. It's a mockery of his condition. But if God walks up to the same man and asks him to do the impossible and says, get up and walk, it's a miracle. And God does speak to us and ask us to do things that we can't do. But in faith, in response to his word, his prompting, if we believe, then we can do it. He won't give us a demand that he won't help us meet. But it's true that that man, prior to hearing the word, was not able to walk. But as soon as he heard the word suddenly the grace is there, the power is there. It's not a mockery, it's a miracle. I think so many times we have run into a perversion of faith that we've talked about it before, but it's on my heart again tonight, and so I feel to share it with you. But we run into this certain brand of faith that is really a perversion of faith that puts off on God what he's asked you to do. We know that Jesus said in John 15 verse five, apart from me, you're a big zero. You can do nothing. But Paul also said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He does not say only God will do all things with my consent. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And a lot of times you feel like people come to a certain threshold of willingness, but they're unwilling to take that willingness to the next level of participation and engagement. And so many times in the miracles of Jesus, it seems like, he purposely attaches some act of obedience and makes the miracle contingent on participation. Sometimes it almost seems arbitrary, but faith is never arbitrary, and obedience that expresses faith is never arbitrary. There was nothing particularly magical about the mud that he globbed into the man's blind eye sockets. But it was just God's way of saying, I'm going to give you some way of participating in the miracle you seek. To show that you have more than a passive faith. To show that you have more than an inert, detached kind of faith that sits back and believes God's going to take care of it all. I'm going to put something in your hands to do. I'm going to put something under your power to obey. And I'm going to see if you engage It's the same thing that the prophet Elisha was doing for Naaman the Syrian. The Lord quickened this scripture to my mind as I was praying this afternoon. It's in Acts chapter 1. Very familiar to all of us. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. I'm just giving you context for the main point. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They still had very natural expectations Of a very natural kingdom and we know and have spoken of the fact that in John the 6th chapter he warned them that his ascension into heaven could even potentially be cause for offense for those with the wrong expectations do you remember that you remember he spoke in John 6 A very offensive message that caused approximately 25,000 people to depart from him. Do you remember? What was that offensive message? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Right? But when they got offended, what was his response to their offense? He says, does this offend you? Well, then what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Indicating that the ascension of Christ this seminal moment of glorification would somehow, could potentially be a cause of offense for the disciples. And their last question just before he ascends shows us why they could have gotten offended. Because they were expecting a natural kingdom. They were not expecting that God would reign through the Spirit in the hearts of men and women who were baptized on the day of Pentecost They were not expecting that now the king, the Lord, would be the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is is there, would they discover the liberty they sought. They weren't expecting that. They were expecting that, okay, we got over with this messy business of a trial and a crucifixion, and praise God, a resurrection. Now can we get on to the political kingdom that we've all needed so bad? Can we boil this down to brass tacks, Lord Jesus? Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he tells them, it is not for you to know times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In both Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. He redirects their expectations. He says, get off of politics, get off of natural kingdoms, get off of human programs, and why don't you just look for the Holy Spirit? And it's going to make you witnesses. It's going to make you as I think is the word. And after he had said these things, here's the scripture I wanted to read to you. Listen carefully. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. The remotest part of the earth. And he starts lifting up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky. As he was going, as he was going, he's still in the air, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Wouldn't you? (laughs) We just saw the Lord take off. It says, while he was going up, these two guys are saying, why are you still standing still, looking into the sky? He just told you to do something. Get with it. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come to you in the same way you have seen him go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives about a Sabbath day's walk to the city. Oh, okay, well, let's get on to Jerusalem. It's going to take us a whole day to get there. And God's got a timetable, and an outpouring is on its way. We don't want to be half an hour behind. We got a kingdom that, that we're supposed to be expecting. Let's get on with it, brothers and sisters. Amen. What do we see here? We see people, the inclination of all hearts to encounter God in a powerful way to experience him even in the man Christ Jesus in the Messiah, the Son of God and to want to fixate on that instead of going to pursue him through the spirit in the way he has prescribed didn't he say it is expedient that I go away or else the comforter won't come there was some kind of Change from natural expectation to spiritual search for empowerment that had to happen in their hearts in order to release the comforter upon the earth. We want God to do it, but he wants us to do it. He's already done it. He said, greater works than these you shall do because I go to the Father. And I just... I think of so many circumstances in evangelistic settings where we're meeting with so-called Christians or in fact devout Christians and the word of God begins to come and people are willing to exceed to what must be done but they're only willing to place all the onus for doing it on God. Instead of recognizing that they are the vehicle through which God intends to do it, Jesus does not say, Thou art Simon, and upon this rock I'll build my church. I give thee the keys to the kingdom, and whatever I bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever I loose shall be loosed. That's not what he says. He says you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and I'm giving you the keys and whatever you bind is going to be bound in heavenly places and whatever you loose is going to be loosed in heavenly places. God had a conversation with Abraham on the cliffs that overlook Sodom and Gomorrah and you see the, the mighty power of Elohim is ready to act and he converses with Abraham but consider the way Abraham was able to engage and participate in what God was about to do. Abraham almost was able to bind it. Abraham was almost able to stop what would seem like the inevitable judgment of God falling like fire and brimstone from heaven if there are a hundred if there are 50 if there are 30 oh Lord if there are just 20 or 10 and God was willing every claim every time Abraham interceded God was willing to bind and to loose accordingly this is a picture of of the degree of participation that God wants to have with his people. But ultimately, there weren't enough in that city who were willing to be conduits, who were willing to be righteous like Lot. There just wasn't enough. And Abraham stopped making his plea. At 10, he discovered that even 10, it excluded the entirety of his own extended families, household hallelujah you talk to people and you say you say don't you see what's happening in the culture around you don't you see what's being taught in the universities and the christians get i know it is so terrible Oh, God, just cover the universities. Oh, God, just bless those teachers and give them a wisdom to teach properly. Is that really the call to action that God is suggesting when he awakens awakens people to the dire situation that surrounds them? You can see it on even on positive things. You teach someone about the Holy Spirit and they... Oh, yes, well, if God wants to give it, he's welcome to. Or you teach them about faith, and they say, God, give me faith. Well, we should all pray that. But a more productive prayer would be, God, give me ears to hear the truth and believe it, because that's what faith is. I remember when I was in Israel this past March, I taught on this subject briefly. And I said, what sense would it make to you to see a gardener go out into his garden patch and see that weeds were taking over? Oh, I'm so burdened, there are such weeds in my garden. God, just take these weeds out of my garden. I just believe you, Lord, you're capable. I just trust you, God. You don't like them any more than I do. Just, I know you're able. Does that strike you as absurd? Because I think we do that to God all the time. Get up the next morning. Lord, I know I felt faith that those weeds were bad and needed to get out, and they're still there. Oh, God, just take away these weeds, you know. And the Lord's saying, I, I, I thought I gave you two hands. <laughs> I thought you even had a hoe. What are you asking me to do what I've told you to do? You get with the program. Stop putting at God's doorstep what he's asked you to do. Apart from him, you're a big zero. But if he's told you to do it, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so some others will see that as fathers in their families, they will hear a conversation between two two children of their of the in their family or they will have an interaction with their spouse and as they should they will pray oh god help my family but what they should really be praying is god oh help me help my family you're god's man You're God's agent in the field. You're who he wants to use. And he's willing to send angels to grab you by the shoulder and say, why are you still looking up into heaven? He told you to do something, now get with it. Oh God, please be a father to my children. Well, in a sense, we believe that and we want that. But through whom? Through me. God, please minister to my spouse. Please wash my wife with the water of the word. Please, Lord Jesus. just just serious needs here. I do beseech you, God, to just be their dad because I'm too big of a bump on a log to do it myself. Please, Lord. Something's got to turn over inside of you that says, God, it's got to be done. And I don't feel adequate. Who is equal to the task But because I am an agent and a minister, not of the letter that kills, but of the spirit that gives life, therefore with Paul I can say our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate, not as servants of the letter that kills, but as ministers of the spirit that gives life. So help me get into your presence, God. Help me to feel it like you feel it, see it like you see it, Help me to speak it like you want it spoken. Amen. Help me to keep at it until it comes to pass. Don't wait on God for what he's asking you to do. I heard about a, a family who visited here. Must have been a couple years ago. And they professed adamantly that they wanted to go all the way and that they wanted to come this way specifically from another state. And I asked the Matt, I said, whatever happened to so-and-so, and he said, oh, he, he decided not to come this way. I said, I didn't think his wife would let him, to be honest. And he said, yeah, it's it's pretty sad. They're, They're grieving because their two oldest children have now gone to university and have both, have each hooked up with a spouse that their parents are terribly grieved about. And so their parents are fasting and praying that their children won't marry these people that they know are not right for their children. you see any semblance, any similarity between that and what I'm talking about? I wrote a prayer that I wanted to read to you. Do you mind? It's not a real prayer. But it's the prayers, that it's called the prayer of a Babylonian Christian. I hope you'll listen. This is what the uh, Babylonian Christian says. Maybe the guy who's a next door neighbor to Abraham or the guy who sits across from Moses in church. Oh God, we just know you wanna do great things here in Ur of Mesopotamia. We just trust you to restore our culture, to heal our land, to give us wise kings and leaders who will only require one year of prostitution from our women at the state temple instead of two. We just know that you have better things for us, and we just pray for Babylon. We pray for Ur, and we pray for Egypt. Heavenly Father, we know that the school system here in Ur is just really tough on the kids, but we just trust you, and we put our kids in the lap of Moloch, knowing that you can care for them there. We just want them to be bright lights and torches for Christ. And dear Lord, we know that we're sending Jack and Jill to university now, and we know that all they teach there is hatred against God and undermining of our values. We know that they're going to see all kinds of bad things and even get drunk on the wine of fornication from time to time, but we trust you to help them be lights in this dark world and just remain salt that has completely lost its savor as their witnesses for Christ in this adverse culture. And finally, Lord, we just ask you for your help in resisting the temptation of the enemy that would entice us to disengage the struggle by separating from this culture and going out to that horrible place called Canaan. We just trust you to help us in resisting these poles and this sadness that we feel as we gaze into the night sky and look at the stars and we sense that we're missing out on promises and purposes and blessings we know that godliness with contentment is great gain and we ask you to help us live at peace in or and just quiet our souls with words of comfort like peace 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 for we know that you did not come to bring division nor a sword but only tranquility and peace so again we just affirm our trust and Lord because we know how trying it is in these times We just pray that you would raise up great leaders such as your mighty prophet Balaam and other strong women like Jezebel. Some of these prayers have already been answered. And others with the gift of encouragement like Delilah. That in all things your people would be encouraged to become a great and prosperous group along with dear Babylon, which we know you love so much. Amen. Oh, I I have a postscript prayer. And lastly, dear Lord, just set us free from the trap and deception of dangerous cults led by Abraham and Moses and their like. Who would draw the people away into perilous trials through oceans and out into wilderness and on on, uh, starvation rations with manna. We are mindful of this terrible report which we have received from our dear brother Korah, Dathan and Abiram, such wise, trusted leaders among their people. And we just grieve for all those who are caught on that trip to nowhere, misled and misguided by these false prophets. They actually believe that oceans will part for them, that walled cities will crumble before their prayers. They're fed a notion that God has an alternative, a promised land where he can be king where people can actually obey. We just trust you to save them from this cult and return them to their contentment here in Babylon the Great. Amen. I think that's the kind of prayers that are being offered today. I know it's a little bit in the extreme, but I believe that's what's being prayed today. Oh God, just help my son to be a witness. Huh? Help Ishmael to just flourish among his peers and show how if he'll take a knee and pray on the football field that God will bless him, Mm. give Ishmael special anointing to to beat his opponents, even as he goes on national television with a a headband that says, man of God, and and they ask him, what is your mantra? He says, "Hunt, hunt, kill, and eat. That's our mantra. Oh, what does that mean, man of God? Pray tell. It means that we prepare in the hunt against our opponent. And then we kill him in the game. And then we feast on the victory that we've just won. Well, man of God, go with God's speed. Does anybody want to join the prayer circle for Babylon and Ur of Mesopotamia? It's going to be a 24 hour thing, it's been going for a long time. Oh, God, please. Or is there anybody who hears God saying, get out of there, my people. I'm not changing it. I'm calling you out of it. I'm not raising up your perfect Mesopotamian ruler. I'm calling you away to be my people so that I can be your God. I believe such prayers, obviously this is intended to be a mockery. Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal, and that's what I'm doing here, mocking the prayers of Baal and his worshipers. But I believe the prayers that are not intended to be a mockery are still a mockery. The very word church denotes an exodus, getting out, and they're not prepared to sacrifice their independence, and they're not prepared to sacrifice their fashionable looks. We're too strange. We're too odd. But they're prepared to send their kids to the lap of Moloch. They're prepared to send their youth to universities that are just indoctrination centers against Christ and then pray and fast that what they have done won't actually come to pass. It is stupidity and blindness in the extreme. God is saying, get out. You've got two legs and you got two ears. Listen to me and get up and get out. Get out of all that attaches to that culture and that system and go to a place I will show you. And somebody can say to me, you know, I, I just don't feel like what you're doing is necessary. Oh, why is that? Well, I just feel like it's, it's going too far. In what sense? Well, you know, we don't want to give God any more than we have to. Let's start with that. He is a harsh taskmaster, and we only want to give him what we have to. And we feel like you're demanding too much of people. We're not demanding anything of people. But God is demanding that we be his bride. And he is insisting that he is a jealous God and that his spirit yearns for us jealously. And we're wanting to demonstrate that we have no other lovers but Christ, that we have no other attachments or commitments than Christ. Whoever loves the world or the things of the world, okay, he's got it, but the love of the Father is not in him. Whoever runs after the world, whoever seeks to be a friend of the world, Makes himself the enemy of God. So it's not about how little can I give him, it's about how much can I give him. And somebody will say to you, Brother, Brother Ossie, my grandmother wasn't baptized in the name of Jesus, and she was a devout person. I read from this Baptist preacher and I was inspired by this Christian thinker and they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit and they had insights from God and they were used mightily, why do I have to do this? Well, Paul says that as sin increases, grace must much more abound. So there was a day in a culture when they could get by with as much as they had from God. But the day comes when he calls all men to repentance. Isn't that what he says in Acts 17? There were times of ignorance in the past that God winked at. He smiled at it. He saw how sincere they were and he blessed them and he winked at them. But then there comes a time he says, all right, it's enough. We're done with that. It's time to go all the way. And that's the day we live in. You're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. You're either going to be all the way or you're turning into an iceberg or maybe a pillar of salt that looks like one. I want to read you something and listen carefully and think while I read of all the Christians who really had relationship with God who really went far in their walk, but who might not have gone all the way, all the way that God is asking you to go in this day and in this hour. Can I read these scriptures to you? 1 Kings 15, and you tell me if you pick up the common denominator, and we'll talk about it. 1 Kings 15, verse nine. So in the 20th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king of Judah. Asa reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maakah, the daughter of Abisholam. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord like his father David. Did everybody hear that? Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord like his father David. Pretty good thing to say about Asa. Okay? He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Ma'akah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah and Asa cut down her her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. Is the Bible saying anything good about King Asa here? a good a good bit right a good deal positive about the good guy now we're going to jump some chapters seven chapters later first kings 22 how many of you heard about jehoshaphat was he a good guy or a bad guy he was a good guy now jehoshaphat the son of asa became king over judah in the 4th year of ahab king of israel Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king And he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem And his mother's name was Azubah The daughter of Shehi He walked in all the way of his father Asa He did not turn aside from it Doing right in the sight of the Lord However, the high places were not taken away The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places Have you identified a similarity so far? What did they do that was wrong? They failed to go all the way in removing the methods of worship that their fathers had instituted but which God had not instituted. And because of that one error, do we say they were horrible men? Do we say they had nothing to offer? Huh? No. Here's another one. Jehoash reigns over Judah in the seventh year of Jehu. Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibihah of Beersheba. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Here's another one. 2 Kings 14, Amaziah did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did according to all that Joash, his father, had done. Only the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Have you seen a theme that is spanning these two books of the Bible and scores of chapters and Scores of years, hundreds of years between these kings. What is the theme? Good people do good things and get praise from God, but they don't go all the way. They even go a good distance, but they don't go all the way. That is exactly what has happened in the church. Just like Jeroboam, told the people, you don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. Well, in the same way, the second and third century church told the people, you don't have to go to the Holy of Holies and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just stop here at these temples made with men's hands called Dan and Bethel. We will give you gods to worship. We will give you ideas and principles and canonized law. You can worship that. A great sin was committed in the perversion of the nature of God. A great wickedness was committed against the church in removing the life and anointing of the Spirit completely and supplanting it with things that men had made. And along the road, there have been bad people and worse people, good people and better people, and some who have as many accolades spoken of them as Asa had spoken of him. They were great people. They were devout. They were devoted. They brought us a good ways, but they didn't go all the way to tear down those high places. And you say, well, so are they guilty? Their guilt is according to knowledge. They didn't build them, but they didn't either have the wisdom to tear them down. But in your day, God is tearing down those high places. In your day, he has destroyed them. And if you go back to them after you have seen them torn down, you're as guilty as the people who first built them. You can never abandon the truth that God is revealing through his word about rebirth because some godly grandmother didn't have it. She's as good as Asa but you're as bad as Jeroboam. You can never abandon the revelation of the oneness of God because some saintly man of righteousness like Roger Williams or John Wesley or Charles Wesley didn't have it. They walked in the light that they had, counting on the fact that you would walk in the light that you have. The Bible says, as we minister at the symposium, they were not made perfect without us meaning that their efforts are not perfect or complete unless we walk in the light that God is revealing to us. We legitimize them by taking the baton the next go-round. We don't undermine them. We legitimize them. We say, thank you, Asa, for uprooting us from the garbage of sacramentalism. Thank you for giving us justification by faith. Here, we're pressing on to know the Lord through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the revelation of one God. Amen. And if saints, so-called Christians of today, see those high places torn down, and why? Even though the saints of old did not see them, nor understand why, if you see them torn down, And you rebuild them and say, oh, that's okay because of the past. You're a betrayer, not only of the truth of of today, but of the legitimate steps of the past. We are on a journey out of Egypt and into Canaan, out of Babylon and into Jerusalem. So get over it and come and go with me to my father's house. Many of them are going to be in heaven. You say, well, if they're in heaven, can't I do the same as they and also go to heaven? Well, they went to heaven without confessing Jesus. Can you go to heaven without confessing Jesus? No. They are in heaven because they walked in legitimate steps of faith, walking in all the light of truth that they had. And you will be in heaven for the same reason if you walk in all the light of truth that you have. But according to Romans 1.16... If you suppress the truth in unrighteous unwillingness, the wrath of God is revealed against you. You don't have an option. And hiding behind really godly people in the past who didn't know as well as you did is no excuse. How many miracles did the prophet Elijah perform? We're told he performed eight significant miracles in his lifetime. How many miracles did his successor, Elisha, perform including after he was dead 16 in total how many miracles did Mary the mother of Jesus perform Mary Magdalene how many did she perform we don't know that they performed any in fact there's no record that they performed any so they didn't need to go up to the upper room and receive the Holy Spirit when they were commanded by Jesus to do it to wait for the promise of the Father. They didn't need to do that because they could just follow in the steps of Elisha. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't speak in tongues and he performed more miracles. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't about performance. It's not about miracle working. It's about a degree of surrender and a degree of saturation and baptism in the presence of God has your whole being gone all the way under and been drowned in his presence until your most unruly member can only speak what the Spirit gives utterance to. Elisha didn't have that among those born of women. John the Baptist was the greatest, but least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I'm gonna finish where where I left off. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going up. And behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day's journey. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and John and Andrew and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They went up there and devoted themselves. Devote means to sacrifice something as to a god. They were making a sacrifice of themselves in prayer. They were devoting themselves in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. God told us that we shouldn't look into the sky to wait for Jesus to do what he told us to do. We're going to Jerusalem and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer until the answer comes. Amen. Amen. He said to wait till you receive the promise of my Father, which would be a baptism of fire." People who say that the baptism of fire only refers to to the death of a saint are ignorant. They have not read the scriptures because he said that the baptism of fire was gonna come in Jerusalem. It's the same thing John the Baptist talked about when he said, "'I indeed baptize you with water, "'but one comes after me who will baptize you "'with the Holy Spirit and fire.'" Thank you, Jesus. I paraphrase, but you know what I'm talking about. Amen. So God is, God is asking, what have I told you to do that you're waiting on me for? Don't you want to do it? Praise you, Jesus. Don't you want to stop praying for Babylon and start praying for the church? Don't you want to stop wasting your prayers? on the politics of Babylon and start devoting yourselves. God, raise up your people, raise up your ministries in every place. Yes, we're commanded to pray for the rulers of that world and this is the extent of our prayer. Lord, help help them to give us peace so that we may preach the gospel without hindrance. We're not supposed to meddle in their kingdom. We are ambassadors, but we do not vote in that kingdom We do not participate in that kingdom. We do not try to influence that kingdom except as an alternative, a city on a hill, a light of the world. You say, well, I'm sorry, but my church is just, there's no comparison. Politics is so real. It's so practical. It's so energizing in my church. It's just a bunch of old people getting together and singing a hymn. I mean, there's just nothing to it. I I can't make a, a comparison. I understand because it's not a church. It hasn't waited in the upper room until it was in due with power. You feel just like the disciples. Is it at this time you're gonna restore the natural kingdom? What you need to get is the kingdom of God that is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You need to get to that place where you know there is something more powerful than the weapons of our warfare that are carnal. Instead, they're mighty through God, amen. So God help us help us, help us to obey, help us to come out. But what am I going to look like if my kids start behaving like that in the schools of Ur? Yeah, good point. That's why God's calling you out of Ur. How is that ever going to work if we do that in the context of Egypt? It's not. If you want to be a brickmaker, get comfortable as in Egypt, as comfortable as that whip will let you be. But if you wanna be a son, why don't you come out to the Red Sea and let's cross. Let's go to a different country and a different culture and a different kingdom, amen, and a different God and a different kind of freedom. Thank you Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise you Jesus. Somebody said to me, but doesn't God send people to the city also? Oh yeah, he sends Moses to the city. Not to buy a mansion and set up a sprinkler system to keep it green. But to go stand in the face of Pharaoh and say, we got to get a plan to get my people out of here. Hallelujah. He sends people to the city to call the people out of the city. He sends them into the hell holes of Mesopotamia, Ur, Egypt, Babylon to say, get out. Come out of her, my people. You say, well, that's not possible. You don't understand. We don't have the money to buy land. I know. I know that's so much harder to get money to buy land than it was to cross an ocean. I understand. It's so much harder to solve these practicalities than it was to believe God for manna from heaven. I understand. You don't have water either, do you? So why don't you start grumbling and talking about staying in Egypt? God's got a staff and he's got a man willing to touch a rock. Why don't you follow that instead, amen? The kingdom that he's calling to make of us, the kingdom that he's inviting us to be part of is just as impossible as the man who is crippled starting to twitch his muscles and stand up for the first time. It's impossible because he doesn't want flesh to get any glory. But for those who believe, hallelujah, there's a quickening. Thank you, Jesus. You can ask, you can ask the question, would there have been water in the rock If Moses hadn't touched it, no, there wouldn't have. Would there have been water in the rock if he had said, well, I don't know that this is going to work. But you know, Aaron, it's worth a try. They're thirsty. Tap, tap, tap. Yeah, didn't think so. That's not faith. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for. It's like this. Aaron, I know it sounds crazy, but I got no other option but to obey God. He said, to touch the rock, we're touching the rock in the name of Jesus. And we're gonna stand here all night and all day. Remember, he stood out with his staff all night when the waters didn't part at the first wave of his staff. He stood there all night waiting. Amen. God, you said it was gonna happen. I'm just gonna believe you, God. Amen. I got no other option. Pharaoh's breathing down my neck. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I don't think Moses probably slept much that night. Pharaoh and his armies were coming down, and the people were getting scared. But you got to put yourself in a situation where only God can get the glory. Amen. That's going to be a situation where the kingdom advances. Amen. There's no plan B. It's Jesus or nothing. Amen. apart from him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Come on, let's do it. Amen.
1: Hallelujah.